Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 106. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. I am so excited to share this great interview with y'all today because today's guest is just such a wealth of knowledge and positivity and tactical, practical career advice. And that's, I mean, that's right up my alley, right? That's someone, of course, that I would love to jam with. And I can't wait for you to meet her. Her name is Lisa Lewis. She's a career transformation coach and the founder and CEO of Lisa Lewis Careers, a company helping multi-passionate, ambitious individuals create the careers they've been wishing for. Now, today's topic that Lisa and I dive into is kind of a dicey one. And I'd be curious to hear if anyone else out there has ever struggled with this. Today's caller, who actually was a writer, she wrote into the show with a career conundrum, is wrestling with a kind of sticky situation in that it's not her career conundrum per se, but it's her fiance's. He's been struggling to find his career path and his career footing, and she's struggling to figure out how to support him throughout this process. Now, she's already been supporting him through years of unemployment, but what does it look like to really not only protect their relationship, but also support him in weathering a bit of a career storm? Has this ever happened to you? I feel like I talk a lot about how Brad and I kind of co-tackled his job search when we moved out here to Colorado. And today's conversation with Lisa really uncovers some best practices from both of our experiences in doing things like that and some of the drawbacks of coaching the ones you love. So a little more about Lisa and her background. Her career path evolved into career coaching after working in digital marketing for nearly a decade at companies like Edelman, the American Cancer Society, Teen Vogue, 17 Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, and CBS College Sports. So she has run the gamut career-wise. And as she pivoted into really focusing on career strategy, Lisa received her coaching certification as one of only seven coaches in the world trained in the pivot method. Lisa's clients praise her ability to see through their excuses, champion their possibilities, and give resume reviews that are like, quote, purifying hellfire. (laughs) She pulls no punches, and today's interview is no exception. Lisa's from Boulder, Colorado, received her bachelor's degree in economics from Barnard College in New York City, and recently moved back to Denver, the place to be for bosses like me and Lisa, it seems. And Lisa, it is such an absolute pleasure to have you on the pod today. Welcome to the Boss Up Podcast. It is a pleasure. I've been a big fan of you and Bossed Up for many moons. So it is amazing to, to speak to all the fabulous people who are part of the Bossed Up community. 
Yes, and you are one of them. You're a featured Bossed Up trainer, which is amazing. And I'm so excited to have your expertise as a career strategist, as a career coach on the line today, because we have a bit of a doozy. Today, we've got a question that was actually written in from Britt. She goes, it isn't for me. It's for my fiance. He'd be mortified if he knew I was writing in, but we're at the point where I really feel like I have to do something. He's been struggling to find work for the past few years, and we recently moved to Philadelphia for a job for me, thinking the job market would be better, and it just hasn't been. He's got a BA in political science and economics and a master's in international relations. And he's done loads of co-ops throughout his programs. But since graduation in 2015, he's really struggled to find work. He was unemployed for almost two years back in North Carolina and now is in a low-paying temp position with no benefits in Pennsylvania. Everywhere he applies, he's overqualified or doesn't hear anything back. And this has really taken a toll on his confidence and on our relationship, understandably so. Do you have any advice for someone in their upper 20s who's considered too qualified for entry-level positions but doesn't have enough solid work experience for higher roles? Britt, this is such a great career conundrum. Thank you for writing it in. We're going to tackle this, Lisa, I'm thinking in two parts. First, let's give some straight-up advice to someone who is in Britt's fiancé's position. And let's give some advice for the really tricky position this puts Brit in for anyone who's got a loved one who you watch struggle with career transition. What can Brit do to save the day or save her relationship or one or the other? So first, let's tackle this when it comes to the fiance. He moved from North Carolina to Philadelphia. He's been struggling to find work. He's been out of work for a while despite having a whole bunch of degrees going for him. Where do you think he should begin? Well, I feel for Britt and for her fiance because it's a really difficult position to be in that a lot of people, especially sort of of this generation, are wrestling with. You know, you went through your undergrad program, you were excited, you wanted to dive even more deeply into an area of expertise, you went and got a graduate degree, and then you hit the job market. And the job market has been, you know, evolving so rapidly, especially over the past, say, 15 to 20 years that academic credentials, while they're helpful and important, sometimes aren't enough. And it is so frustrating to walk into a position thinking that you've done everything in your power to set yourself up to be a great employee and then not to have employers necessarily see that when they look at you on paper. And so frustrating from our highly indebted generation, I imagine, because we were all made this promise that education is the key to success. I feel like there were actual PSAs that used to say that. And then we go get the most education of any generation to date. We rack up some student debt along the way that we're told is good debt because it will open doors to our future. And then uh, sometimes those graduate degrees don't really pay off. Mm. So I feel for our folks who are listening, thinking, what the hell, you know, crying over our master's degrees, thinking, where is my job opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the really important things to say is that no matter what level of education you've accomplished, when you're thinking about how that brings you into the working world and what your potential job prospects are, what needs to happen is just this ever so slight and yet super powerful mindset shift. Because as you've been working through the academic you know, ladder, climbing up from high school, college, graduate, There's always been a really prescriptive path about what you need to do to be successful, what you need to do to get the A, what you need to do to graduate. And when you are moving into the working world, there are still principles about what you can do 
to Mm. be successful, if we put successful sort of in air quotes, in creating a career path where you're serving people and where you're moving on up and where you're growing and developing and getting exposed to juicier and more exciting problems to help people solve. And the mindset shift is thinking about approaching how you are as an employee and a candidate through the mindset of how do you serve and what kind Mm. of value do you create? And when I say what kind of value do you create, it feels a little bit jargony. So one way to, to interpret that is what kind of transformations do you help somebody accomplish in the workplace? So transformation could be something like if you say are interested in the financial risk world, it could be developing a model that helps an organization make smarter business decisions and thus save money, avoid risk, create Mm -hmm. a long strategy, anything else like that. So step one is thinking about what you do in terms of creating value and serving in the working world and what kind of outcomes you can help employers and potential customers and clients get to. I love this idea because it takes some of the ego out of this process. It takes some of the shame and blame and all that me, me, me centric thinking out of your job search. And instead of thinking, why am I not being seen as the great person that I am? Why am I not being recognized for the badass, overqualified, late 20s professional that I should be seen as? And instead, it forces you to flip the script and think, all right, from my audience's perspective, from the perspective of the person sitting on the other side of that interview table, what value can I bring to them? What are they looking for? And it forces you to be a little more audience-centric in how you position yourself, which I think is such a key part of all marketing, including job searching, which is the essential marketing of yourself as someone who can be a value to others. So really getting out of your own head, out of your own ego, dropping this ego trip of I'm overqualified or I'm not being paid enough or I'm not being valued enough and instead put it outside. Start focusing on what do they need? How can I meet those needs? How can I position myself as the person who can uniquely meet their needs? And that makes you a more magnetic person right away. Totally. Just because you might have been thinking a certain way in your career that was very me-centered does not mean that you are selfish and egocentric per se. It just means that the way that you were showing up might not have been creating the energy and the connection and the opportunities that you are really wanting. So it's just about thinking about yourself and what you do ever so slightly differently to then create the kind of opportunities and relationships and all the sort of juicy momentum that it is that you're looking for. Yeah, that's such a great point because I think oftentimes when we feel down about ourselves, when we feel scared that we're not good enough, when we start to wrestle with those deep vulnerabilities of worthiness, we can start to get very me-centric or egocentric without it being an ego trip. I'm not talking about saying, hey, I'm awesome. What the hell is wrong with the world for not recognizing how awesome I am? It's more like, oh my God, I'm in my own head. I'm full of self-doubt. I'm feeling not worthy. I'm feeling this huge lack of confidence because I haven't gotten external validation yet. And if you can take all of that anxiety and that energy that's looking inward for validation and instead look outward to the world and think, how can I help this person sitting across the desk for me? It becomes less of, please tell me I'm good and give me this job offer and more of interesting problem you've got there. How can I help dig into this with you? Let me provide some value up front and show you that I can be helpful. 
Emily, you actually said the second thing, which is a key piece to going from this space of feeling like you are just swirling and sending out a million online applications and never hearing back to actually getting traction, which is all about vulnerability and relationship building. Because if you tend to be the kind of person who is getting the feedback that you're overqualified for things, then it may be that your job search tactical execution is no longer in sync with the level and the caliber of jobs that you are looking at and want to be considered for. Because when you're first starting out, you know, say you are a high schooler and you're just trying to get that part-time job at Panera Bread, you can 100% just come up with a generic resume, send it on into all those different online applicant tracking systems, or even walk it in the institution itself, and that's enough. But once you start looking at higher and higher caliber jobs, they're looking for more and more specific experiences, knowledge, relationships, skills. And in order to help not just figure out what they're exactly looking for, but then to position yourself as the solution to their problems, you've got to have more information. And one of the ways to get that information, especially if you're in an area where the market feels like it hasn't really been syncing up with what you do or what you want to be doing is through vulnerable relationship building and developing your network. We talk a lot about gender as it plays out in the job market on this podcast. And I'm doing a lot of thinking and work this year on men more than ever before, because obviously Bossed Up has been very focused on empowering and helping women craft sustainable success. But in Britt's situation, her fiance, she's told us as a dude or someone who identifies as a guy... And vulnerability and relationship building are two words I think we have historically not associated with men and masculinity. And what you're saying here is such a gem because being vulnerable is essential to connection. And those connections and relationships that you build are essential to the modern job search completely. Isn't it interesting that I know this is shifting, thank goodness, and how we are raising our boys and men in this world now. But isn't it interesting that such traditionally feminine qualities of being unabashedly vulnerable, not that that's easy for all women, but more likely associated with women and building meaningful relationships, those social bonds, those are not the key tenets of traditional masculinity. And here we are saying for men who are struggling with unemployment, these are essential. And it almost says like we have to really analyze and buck traditional gender roles because they're holding us all back, not just women in the workforce, obviously. Men even more so sometimes. And men in this domain might really struggle with what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Amen to that, sister. I feel like (laughs) there is such a need to focus in on the core tenets of human connection, whether they tend to be things that are more sort of heteronormatively, stereotypically falling into the quote-unquote feminine space or into the quote-unquote masculine space and just focus on the stuff that makes us human and these sort of core principles that have existed for thousands of years about connection, relationship, collaboration, Mm. working together and exchanging value, employment, all this good stuff. So what would it look like to take a more vulnerable relationship-centric approach to this job search? So something that Britt's fiance can think about is if he's got a pretty good sense of the types of organizations or the types of tasks he might want to do in his next job, 
then his mission is to go and either find those organizations or find jobs that have those tasks in them and then do a little bit of online sleuthing. I find that LinkedIn can be a really, really good tool for this because it aggregates so much professional information in one space. But your mission would be to find somebody in the greater Philly area who either works at the target organizations you're interested in or who is in a job that has a similar title to the type of thing that you're looking at and reach out to them courageously, vulnerability, to set up a conversation just to hear about how they got into their role, how they got their foot in the door at the organization, what makes them successful in the role, what they like about it, and then also what they don't like about it, what their pain points are, where they see their organization going or not being able to go in the next couple years. Because when you are starting up a conversation with somebody and able to gather all of those juicy pieces of information, you have so much more reconnaissance and intel to structure how you talk about yourself as a candidate. And people who can open doors for you at organizations or in roles can also take your resume and walk it right to a hiring manager. Or even introduce you to a hiring manager if you feel like your resume isn't necessarily putting the foot forward that you want it to. Yeah. And it's a hard way to do it if you feel like your ego has been chipped away at, your confidence has been chipped away at for years, but it is so essential. This is the exact process that I tested out on Brad the Boo (laughs) when we were navigating a job search for him to basically allow us to move from D.C. to Denver because I can do what I do from wherever, but we needed to make sure that he had a good opportunity before we could justify moving for the sake of skiing, which is why we really moved (laughs) here to Colorado. But Brad and I tested this philosophy of one-on-one meetings and vulnerability and reaching out and cold calling, cold emailing people to ask them out for coffee. And they worked so well that I turned that whole process into a step-by-step course called Pregame Your Career Change, which is an email-led course. So hint, hint, Brit, your fiance can take it. This is not like four ladies only. Um, and it's only 25 bucks in the Boss Up store. But I had to mention the process you're walking us through right now is so key. But I think for a lot of folks for whom their confidence has waned over the past few years, maybe even working one-on-one with someone to prepare them for that process can really help. Is that something you do with your clients? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Because it does take a lot of courage and vulnerability and it doesn't feel good because you're in this space where you're feeling really needy, really exposed. Like you don't feel like you're standing in your peak power and your peak confidence and your peak authority. But that is the time when people can help you most. When you walk up to somebody and say, hey, I just moved to the area. It's been really difficult to make connections and get traction I really want to work in the financial sector, or I really want to work in a risk analyst role and have just had tons of difficulty with this. So would you be willing to share your story with me and maybe give me some advice? Yeah. And something I'm sure you talk about in the course, but something that I found to be really important is that when you're building these relationships, what you're doing is you're asking for advice. You are not Mm -hmm. asking for a job. Right. Because if you ask for a job, most of the time, the person who you're talking to is not in a position to be able to have the authority, the decision-making power, the budget, access, et cetera, to make that happen for you immediately. Yeah. So you essentially end the ways that they can assist you in that moment and sometimes then cut the whole relationship off right there. Right. But if you're having this conversation with somebody and you're talking about advice for how to get your foot in the door, to strengthen your candidate profile, ways to get maybe some of the additional experiences and skills that you're missing 
so that you'll be considered for all these types of roles that you're excited about. Then you're getting them on your team. They're partnering with you to co-create your strategy to get your foot in the door. And they become super invested in your success. And they start thinking about all the things that they can do to open doors for you. It's one thing to weather long-term unemployment and keep your own identity intact, which is not easy, right? It is not an easy process. But it's another thing to be in Brit's position here, to be the person who loves this person, who's going through the ringer economically, mentally, psychologically, and certainly employment-wise, to watch someone you love really struggle to get their career footing or feel this lack of satisfaction in their career if they're stuck in a temp role and you're moving on up, right? Brit's making big boss moves. They moved to Philly for her career change. And now perhaps she's feeling even a little guilty about her fiance's big risk that he took with her only to not really land that same kind of satisfaction. So in addition to the advice, which you've brilliantly given to Brit's fiance, what would you share in terms of how Brit can position herself here and maybe not take on too much responsibility, but also she wants to be helpful. How does that work? Like, how have you seen this happen before in your experience? And how did you navigate that? Well, Emily, this part of the question is so dear to my heart and cut so close to home for me because even in my family, there has been a legacy of having like badass women who are going for it, creating careers and opening doors for themselves and having partners who have years of unemployment, yeah. not because they're becoming you know, stay-at-home parents, but just because the job market has been really kicking them around or yeah. they're not sure what they want or they're not seeking help in getting mm. back into a situation. And I know even in my own life, the reason why I started to become a career coach was because I was with somebody who was really not loving their career. And as I was looking at all the people in my ecosystem, you know, my sister was struggling. My partner was struggling. My friends were struggling. And I wanted to do something to help. Yeah. I relate to that very strongly. Yes. It's like you're the in-house career coach. It becomes a thing you want to jump to. Yeah. And Britt, we're not saying you need to become a career coach, not only because <laughs> that may not be you know, what you are wanting or needing in your world, but also because I know in my experience, it was really difficult to then give all of the information and the tools right. and the tactics that I was learning to somebody with whom I was in such an intimate, close relationship because it just felt too close to home. And it felt a little bit like I was, I was momming them or I was judging yeah. them or I wasn't supporting them in their exploration process. So, so Britt, we are not saying you need right. to become the expert and then yes. try to give all the tools and tips to your partner. I remember Googling myself into a deep rabbit hole on this very matter at one point because... Brad was navigating a career change at the same time I was navigating mine from politics and digital strategy to launching Bossed Up. And with all career transitions, there are bumps in the road. Brad was going from being a nine-to-five architect, working in a very corporate architecture environment, which he did not find satisfying, to trying to find his way into this burgeoning field of digital fabrication, which is a complex way of saying essentially 3D printing-like technology for custom interior designs. And he took some big risks in that process, and sometimes they didn't pan out. (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh, shit. 
what am I going to do here? Because my instinct was to coach, you know, to get straight into strategy, to get straight into solutionizing, ideating, coming up with the next steps. And especially as it relates to traditional masculinity and provider pressure and this drive to succeed, we all want to be successful. I think this is a pretty heteronormative thing to say, but if we're looking at relationships between men and women, there is an economic reality, which is the Great Recession, as we now call it, definitely hit men in some ways harder than women, which is an interesting tangent I could go upon for the next hour. But just check out Hannah Rosen's great book called The End of Men (laughs) for more on that or her TED Talk for an abbreviated version, which I'll link to. But the other reality is that there is this traditional masculine, I must be the provider bullshit that we're all constrained by. And when I was researching, okay, what to do when you've got a boo who is struggling Instead of coming up with a solution, the best advice I have found and implemented myself was to remind them of a time in which they'd weathered a storm successfully in the past. Remind them of a time. Remember when you thought this wasn't going to work out? You crushed it then. I am confident you're going to crush it again. It doesn't feel that way right now, but this isn't the end. You've been through worse, and we can do this together. And just that little frame, that shift from giving advice to reminding them of their badassery. I have found to be really helpful. I don't know if you found that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so loving. You know, it it is not coming from a place of, you know, I'm freaking out about this and I'm projecting all of my insecurities and my nervousness onto you. And it's just like surrounding them in this warm, lovely sort of (laughs) like emotional hug here. Yeah. But I want to jump in with another thought too, which is that I think that reminding that person of how awesome they are and how capable they are and how they are totally going to be able to do this and they are resourceful and smart and all those wonderful things is great. But there's also a piece of this that I feel like we need to address because even if Britt doesn't need to hear this, there might be somebody else listening who does Yeah, about making sure that as you are navigating this relationship, that you know what is okay and acceptable for you and drawing mm. some boundaries because there is this space that women get into, because if we're talking about sort of traditional femininity and heteronormative gender roles, there is this like caregiver provider archetype that women can step into. And it feels like you're being helpful and you're being supportive and you're saying, sure, you know, I'll take care of all the bills this month and next month. Like you don't worry about it. Do whatever you need to do. And if that feels true for you and that feels genuine and that feels like it is helping you to create the partnership and the life that you want, that's amazing. And keep rocking and rolling there. Right. if that's coming from a place of wanting to help and not really knowing what to do and not feeling comfortable with the way that things are right now, that type of behavior can end up enabling somebody to be acting less resourceful or more helpless or sort of kicking up their heels and not taking the employment search and the job search as seriously as they could. So there's a really important piece here of making sure that you know what is okay with you and what's not okay with you in terms of that person's behavior. It's almost like setting the rules of engagement for your relationship as a separate facet to the job search. It's a really hard thing to talk about, but I'm so glad you raised it because when one partner is on the down and out, you know what I mean? It can feel really hard to retain your own sense of what you're worthy of, what you deserve in light of someone else's struggle. But The risk is we lose respect for our partner, right? Like if we don't draw those boundaries, 
We can easily lose respect for this person who we love. And then if you love them, but you're caring for them and you're not feeling any sense of mutual respect anymore, that that can be a relationship killer anyway, can it? Oh, totally. And the resentment that can start to sort of simmer underneath the surface because of the things that aren't being communicated about what you need. Yeah. It's just so difficult. You know, my heart goes out to break because this is a really hard situation to be in. But I feel like there's something really important to be said in having her have a really open line of communication and a collaborative conversation with her partner about what she's expecting of him in the relationship. Even if it is like, hey, can you go get a job at Starbucks or Home Depot or something as a short-term bridge to allow for you to, as you're doing your great relationship building and your vulnerable networking strategy, to start implementing the advice that you're getting and developing those relationships and learning these new skills and getting these experiences in whatever kind of freelance or you know volunteer way you are, if there's something that you can be doing to help contribute to our family and our household, that would take some pressure off of me. It would feel really, really good. And I would be so appreciative of being able to see this way in which mm-hmm. I can tell that you are doing everything that you can think of in your power to be continuing to be on an even playing field. Have you seen Insecure by Issa Rae? The no, TV series? not yet. Okay. <laughs> For anyone listening who's getting Insecure flashbacks, it's a great show. I highly recommend it. And she basically tackles this issue head on in the narratives that play out on the show. I won't give any spoilers away, but her character starts in this long-term relationship with a partner who's been unemployed for a long time and she supported him. And... Interestingly, it it sort of quickly devolves into, like you said, enabling. Because the minute that relationship's over, he's making boss moves again, and he's making progress. And it's sad, right? Because sometimes we do need to let go for other people to find their own strength. I'm not saying, Britt, you should call off the engagement. But there's a fierceness that comes with actual independence, with this self-reliance. And I don't know the right balance. I really don't because I've navigated relationships in which you're the one who's on the down and out and you need some support and you want your partner to be there unconditionally, right? But then when you think of, and this is a paper that I wrestled in, uh, wrestled over, I should say, throughout college when I was studying feminist political theory and dating a total scrub at the time. (laughs) And I wrote this long-ass paper about is romantic love compatible with gender equality? And in the way we think of gender equality as being about equitable, you know, equitable labor, and then we think of romantic love as this unconditional, unyielding acceptance. And my conclusion in this paper, which caused a minor existential crisis, which I talk about in my book, was that no, (laughs) they're not compatible, which is why I think love and career comes up so often on this podcast and in the bossed up realm because that intersection is a complex one. But what did you figure out through the process of dealing with your partner at the time and your sister? Well, what I realized was that my sister didn't need me. She was actually doing just fine, putting lots of ideas and all of her natural and innate intuitiveness, problem solving, scrappiness. She was taking care of it in a way that felt good to her. And she was finding a path that felt good to her. And I noticed that there were some judgments that I was making because she worked at Starbucks for a year in sort of part of her transition. 
And I remember defending her to my mom because my mom was yeah. questioning whether or not that was a viable career option for sure. her and sort of what that was saying <laughs> sure. about her career trajectory. Yeah. And I remember defending her to my mom and saying like, there's nothing wrong with kicking it at Starbucks for a little while while you're in the midst of a transition. And I think that's so true, you know, in a case like this too. Mm-hmm. But I also know that in the case with my partner, I think that being in that relationship because it was comfortable and because the relationship was safe, it kept him from having some of the conversations that I think he needed to have in terms of defining the boundaries that he needed with his job and figuring out what he wanted to do next. That is some real advice. I like it. It's real. I mean, it's not the the fairy tale picture that I think we want to paint, but I think that also when you are stepping into a relationship, not enabling, not trying to fix one person or the other and just mm. coexisting as two lovely human beings who love each other and who are both trying to make it work in a way that feels good and is super communicative, that quote unquote right answer is going to vary for every single partnership and it is going to change over time. You know, this month it might feel totally good to pay all of his bills and his grad school bills and be there for him. But next month that might not feel so good because maybe that is eating into your ability to have career flexibility, freedom, take a vacation, save up for a bigger goal, you know, whatever that is. And just to come to Brit's fiance's defense here too, just to be totally clear, he does have a temp job, right? Like he's doing the thing. He's struggling, but he's doing the thing. And the last thing I would say here is, might I recommend therapy? (laughs) Because therapy is for everyone. It is the shit. It is how I navigated my way through my biggest bout of burnout in my early 20s in a relationship that wasn't sustainable for me, in which there was a lot of enabling. This was in a totally different domain, of course, dealing with addiction and alcoholism. But sometimes I remember going to my doctor or going to my therapist and saying, we need to get him into therapy. He needs the help. And in reality, I could have benefited just as much as he could from therapy myself. And I did, in fact, learn a ton about myself through therapy and counseling for myself in dealing with a relationship in which I felt like I had to care for the other person. So Britt, if you don't already, get yourself a good therapist because or a coach, someone to work with, because the stress you're going through is just as worthy of support as the stress that your fiance is going through. Yes. Oh my goodness. And I wanna I wanna add two things to that. Number yes, one please. being Seeking out therapy for yourself is so healthy and juicy and wonderful, but you could also think about if there's a space for couples counseling for you guys to help facilitate some of these conversations and to have somebody who can help be that unbiased third party to make sure that it is respectful and loving, but also clear about what the two of you are needing from one another in this. Love it. But I also feel like I got to say, since you were bringing up things about um, partners who are suffering with addiction or alcoholism or things like that. That as someone who has a family member who suffers, I discovered Al-Anon, which is this group that they partner program to AA for people who are family members or caregivers. And the very first thing that they teach you when you become a part of that organization and that community is that you can't control the other person's behavior. And you got to focus on you and the things that you can control to create happiness and peace for yourself. Mm. So, you know... (laughs) Aladon may not be something that has any relevance to anything that Brit is going through, but that principle of how do I own, you know, my side of the street 
and keep yes. myself happy and healthy and safe and feeling as good in my little ecosystem and in my bubble as I can is yes. such a worthy principle and such an important thing to think about, especially in big times of transition and stress like this. Hell yeah. I will drop links to al resources in the show notes. Lisa, thank you so much. I feel like you've given us so much to think about. Where can our listeners catch up with you? And tell us just a little bit more about what you do and who you serve. Yeah. So I have been a career coach since 2015, and I specialize in helping people make ambitious, scary career changes. So you've marched up the corporate ladder wherever you are. You're feeling like you don't want to become your boss or your boss's boss, and you don't know where to go. If you're feeling that, if not this, then what? Question mark. I would love to have a conversation with you. I do two different programs. One is one-on-one coaching. One is a group coaching support. And you can find out about both at lisalewiscareers.com. Awesome. And I will link to you and your website and your wonderful resources in our show notes. Lisa, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for all your great advice for Britt. Right back at you, Emily. So glad we could support her. And now it's time for today's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hi, Emily. This is Catherine. I'm calling with a bossed up move. I am a mother of two, and I was in a job where I absolutely loved my job responsibilities and loved what I was doing. I do a lot of networking and business development and interacting with a lot of other people, and I love every aspect of that, and I've really found my feet recently doing it. However, I was with a company where they really didn't do flexibility, which when you have little children doesn't really help. And I thought that I was a little bit undervalued. And in general, I just didn't think I wanted to be with that company moving forward. So I'm learning lots of things from your podcast on negotiation, interviewing, on toxic workplaces, how to leave your job well, how to quit well. I felt like I was armed with a lot of information that I interviewed. I even used interviewing and informal interviewing for networking opportunities. I was able to interview with a lot of people and get multiple offers that I then could decide what works best for me. And I ended up finding a new job where I can work from home pretty much as much as I want and have incredible flexibility. I got over a 30% raise, which is awesome. And in general, I have a really good reputation out in the industry and I got to learn that I was valuable and desired and that there is a place for me at a lot of other companies if I ever feel stuck. And it was just an incredible experience. And I really appreciate everything that I learned from the podcast, but also just how empowering it feels to do all of this. Boss, we are cheering you on. And thank you so much for calling in to share your come up story. You really never know who you're inspiring to do the same when you call in and share something you have done that's pushed your own boundaries. So thank you for sharing so courageously, so vulnerably, we might even say, and inspiring others along the way. If you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want us to tackle on the podcast next, give our podcast hotline a call right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. That's 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And we prioritize voicemails that are left over written in questions like Brits today. Although I totally love answering written questions, 
The reason we prioritize voicemails is just because of the vocal diversity that it adds to the show. So if you've been thinking about a career question you've got and you want to write it out or call it in, feel free to do both. But know that if you leave me a voicemail, you're more likely to have your question answered even sooner on an upcoming episode. So now I want to hear from you. What did you think about the advice that Lisa shared for Brit and her fiance? Have you navigated similar waters or felt some of those constraining gender norms as it might relate to a relationship you've been in? Have you found coaching a guy through the vulnerable relationship building process that is inherent to this modern day job search to be a tricky one? I'd love to hear your suggestions for Brit to consider or questions you've got for Lisa and I to expand upon what we covered in today's episode on social media. Just tag me at Emily Aries or at Bossed Screenshot the episode you've listened to or ping us on Twitter and let us know what you think about what we covered today. In the meantime, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And It actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men, and it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.